0: Welcome to the Sunday Tennis Q&A with high performance coach Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally respected author and educator and is regarded as one of the leading junior development coaches in the world. Join Chris Weekly for the most intelligent tennis talk show on the planet as Chris answers questions from his audience around the world. And now, here's Chris.
1: This works. Hey guys, it's Chris, Sunday night, Q&A with Chris, we're live. I was having a little technical difficulty there. I think we got it worked out. Hey, Sammy boy, you ready? You ready for the show? Sammy, it's me and you. We're gonna do this show right. Hold on a second. All right, guys, I'm kind of active right now. I don't want to sit down. My hyperactivity. I don't really want to sit down yet. I got too much energy. Sammy, it's me and you. Hey. Sammy's here. We're ready to start the show. Got anything to say to the fans all around the world? Anything to say? Kisses. Oh kiss, kiss, kiss. Sammy says. Well, he doesn't have much to say yet. Oh, my friend Sterling Strother's on. Hey Sterling, we were just talking, buddy. You should throw out a question on our show. Yeah. I see we already have some friends joining in. My friend Ish. Ish, what's happening? I'll try to get back to you later. And I see Mark Frampton is watching. I think Mark's a regular. And we'll wait for all the friends to get on the broadcast. It's just me and Sammy hanging out. It's my Sam boy. He's, he misses me on Sunday because I'm working 12-hour shifts here. I'm working a lot of hours on the weekend, about doing about 24 hours, which is a weekend grind. And You missed me, didn't you? You missed me, you... Such a good friend of mine. Great family dog Sammy is. He is best friend to my son Isaiah. So let's see who's on the show tonight. I see some old friends signing in. Nate Pagel is watching. What's up, Nate? How are you, buddy? We've been having some good talks on Facebook. Yeah, say hi to Sammy. Sammy is really the star of this show. It's not me. It's totally Sammy. I should call it Sunday night Q&A with Sammy. What do you guys think? Let's see. I've got some new friends on the program. Gaju Mangela or Mangela. Hey, thanks for waving. Appreciate all the waves, guys. Ahmad Musofa or Musafa. Sorry if I mispronounced the names, guys. I really, sometimes I don't do a very good job with that. Thanks for waving, guys. Kailash Dubey or Dubi. Dubey. Thanks for waving. I think you've been on the show before. Thank you for joining into the show. Yeah, oh, Nate says he's in Alabama. Uh, Nate, I'm not, I didn't know where you were. That's cool, down in Alabama. Wow. Southern. Cool, man. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you're up to. You're coaching, probably. Nate Pagel is going to be a leader, coaching leader in the industry. I can promise you that. Mark my words. I have a good sense. I, I got a lot of guys come work for me. And I know when guys are going to be a leader or not. Nate Pagel is going to be a leader in the tennis industry. Go get him. Get after it, Nate. Sammy, what do you think, buddy? Any thoughts on, you want to say anything about footwork today? Any, anything? Nothing? Just want snuggles? All right, well, I'm going to give Sammy some snuggles and take all your questions, guys. If you have any tennis questions, let me know. This is my Sunday night show. Every Sunday night, 945 P.M. And I try to answer your tennis questions to the best of my ability, which some sometimes that may be questionable, but I will you know I do my best to share my knowledge. Not sure where my ability is after teaching twelve hours on the court. Actually, I think my ability is, is quite good on the weekends because I've been doing a lot of thinking on the court. I think sometimes when I'm on court with my students, I'm thinking a lot about tennis. Is that wrong, guys, if you're coaching? Sometimes you're in a tough grind and you got to pass the time and start thinking about big tennis questions while you're teaching. I don't know. I guess I'm guilty of that sometimes. And then I get to talk about it on Sunday night, which is cool. So I have all those thoughts swirling around in my head. Then we get to talk tennis on Sunday night. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I have a few topics for the night. And one of them, I was going to dive in talking a little bit about the kick serve and teaching the kick serve because something got my goat. Is that how they say it? Something something irked me. Something irritated me on some of the Facebook groups this week. Try to share on Facebook. And there were a lot of guys talking about the kick serve and how you can teach it to recreational players or adults. And I want to give my opinion about that. So I'd like to talk about that. I would really like to talk about I made a list, let's see if I can remember it. I would like to talk about game-based approach, teaching tactics first to young kids. If anyone wants to talk about that, chime in on that, please let me know. But, you know, I, I work with a lot of young children and there's just, I don't know if some coaches are into the debate, but there's an enormous debate about how to teach young children, whether you should teach them tactics first, or whether you should start them with technique. And some coaches are maybe oblivious to this debate, but I am very much aware of it, and I'd like to get into it a little bit. If anyone has any questions about that or thoughts, please let me know, please share. This is a community, I like to say, of intelligent tennis learners. So please, if you have any thoughts about that, let me know. What was the other topic that I wanted to dig into potentially? Also, another question when you're teaching young kids, should you teach them to drive the ball flat, kind of like a Lansdorp, or should you teach them spin? So I'm curious if you have any questions or thoughts about that. And these are are not just topics that I choose randomly to make a show. These are things that are on my mind that I would like to talk about. And that interests me and uh, interests me in terms of my own education. So sometimes I can learn from you guys as well. And also for my own work, my work in the trenches with players. So if you have any questions, please put them up on the board. Make your comments and I will do my best to answer. I think I wanted to discuss the, I'm just going to dive into the kick serve while we're, while everyone's getting warmed up. Don't be shy. Put your questions up and I'll do my best to answer. Okay, with the kick serve. So I I put a post up on one of the Facebook groups. Maybe it was Tennis House or CTC. And I was talking about kick serve how it's it's just not it's it's not right, guys. I so, some of the commentators were saying that you can teach a kick serve to anyone and I guess you that's true it, it, with a very limited definition of what a kick serve is, but come on. I see a lot of these 3.0 ladies or 3.5 ladies, they're not going to learn a, a big kick serve. They just don't have enough racket speed. So to me, it's, just, it's a no-brainer. So any coach that gets up there and says that they can teach a kick serve to anyone who walks through the door, to me, maybe they could teach the mechanics of topspin, but it's not going to be a real kicker that's actually going to work like it's not going to bounce over someone's head you know so i think maybe we get into like what is the definition of a good kick serve but when i see people posting that they can teach the kick serve to anyone i'm i don't know what to say about that it's just it it tells me that they're either a they don't know what a kick serve is like what a real kick serve looks like because i see a lot of players who come to me not adults but kids and they think they have a kick serve but it's not really a kick serve doesn't have enough spin component doesn't have enough rpm and or b they i i I don't know what b is you guys tell me anyone have a thought on that because you need it's just it, it means that you don't understand what a kick serve is or or how or maybe how to teach it because a kick serve has to have racket speed you have to have a you have to have an. You have to be able to accelerate your arm at a certain speed to generate the RPM. There's just no way around that bi, biomechanical fact. So nobody can sit. Nobody can post. Nobody can post and say, "I teach a kick serve to anyone. I can teach a kick serve to anyone who comes to my court." When we all know that, just biomechanically and physiologically, there are many, many people who cannot produce enough power in their arm, speed in their arm, to generate heavy, the RPMs necessary to make a kick serve effective. It's just not possible. So I don't understand what these people are, what they are thinking. You know, it's just biomechanically impossible. Biomechanic, it's just physiologically impossible. Just, it's a pure physics equation, mathematical equation. You just cannot produce enough speed in the arm. I don't care how great a coach you are. Okay, I got a few comments on that. But do you guys just agree with me because you're on my show? or uh, You can disagree with me, but I, I just think I, this is not like something that is someone's opinion where we could just debate it. It's just a biomechanical fact. Like, like they just, it's a mathematical equation. Marcus Dayton says, Marcus Dayton is backing me up here. Well, I was struggling there, Marcus. You came through for me, buddy. He says... They're all full of it, and all of the teaching is player to player based off of how, what, and how soon you can teach them anything. I think he's backing me up here. Marcus Dayton says exactly. Thank you, my friend. It's not an ego thing. It's not like you say, I am a really great coach. I can teach kick serve to anybody. Who can say, nobody can say, anyone who says that is out of their mind. I I teach a very good kick serve. I think I have a very good kick serve system, and I admit that there are some people I I do not teach it to, and I shouldn't teach it to. And if I did teach it to them, it would be a monumental waste of their time. They can, they could be focusing on something much more important. I'll give you an example from my perspective. I don't work with a lot of recreational adults, but I just know it's a biomechanical physiological. It's an undebatable fact it's not even debate it's not debatable, but let's you know with with ch- children, girls, okay, and nobody don't even tell me I'm being sexist or anything like that. There are a lot of girls that just don't have enough strength in their shoulder. they can't produce enough power to hit a good kickster. it's just it's just a fact it's a fact now i'm I know i you know some people may say, oh Chris, you're limiting.' What the girls can... No, I I will teach a kick serve to a lot of my female students. I will. But they have to be able to produce enough racket speed. Because what happens is, if you spend a lot of time on a kick serve, let's say with a girl, or even a dude who's kind of petite, like not that powerful, that kick serve is going to sit up and it's going to get smacked. It's going to get destroyed on the other side from the returner. And that is one of the main reasons why... You don't see a lot of kick serves on the WTA tour and you don't see it a lot on the ITF girls circuit because the serve you can teach it. You can, the girls can learn it, but it just doesn't jump enough. It doesn't kick up enough. It just sits there like a little bunny rabbit as Rick Macy says and it gets tuned like a piano and that's why most of the girls are slicing. They slice to keep it low, and it's a better tactical serve. So you have all these people running around saying they can teach the kick serve to anyone, and they're really proud that they teach the kick serve to ladies and girls and whatever. And, and it, it, do you ever think that you might not want to teach it for tactical reasons to those people? Because this, this is what really really sort of drives me crazy. And then I don't even want to have the discussion anymore. I don't even want to post that on a Facebook group because it's just for me it's just not an intelligent debate anymore it's just, when you when you don't recognize biomechanical physiological physical limitations of certain subsets of students I, I don't even want to argue with you anymore because it's it's just not an intelligent debate all right what do we got here Nate Pagel still on the line Nate supporting the program tonight thank you amigo Marcus Dayton is fired up tonight. Thank you, Marcus, for supporting the show. Let's see what he says. Marcus says, the ego gets them into trouble and often it hurts the player. We have a lady at the complex right now that went to another place and ended up with both tennis elbow and a torn rotator because of the pro there. Right, so that is the other side of it. When you're teaching the kick serve, it is a dangerous serve. I mean, come on, people. It's not a natural movement for the shoulder. It's very, it's a very awkward position for the shoulder to be in. And many coaches teach it incorrectly, let's say slightly dangerously, like with an extreme back arch or something like that. Or they put the shoulder in a position that that's, puts the shoulder puts more load on the shoulder or puts the shoulder into a, a weaker position. And over time, it can you can injure the shoulder that way. So that's what Marcus is talking about. So that's the whole other side to this. So if you are teaching the kick serve to everyone that comes through the door, you're probably doing some damage to your students. You're probably injuring somebody. So that's kind of the other side of it. But I was just making the pure tactical argument. And there's a lot of players who can hit a kick serve or they can hit – a topspin serve, but it just sits up. It doesn't have enough juice. And so any coach who, going around saying, oh, I teach the kick serve, I'm so good at teaching the kick serve, I teach it to everyone, anyone, anyone can learn the kick serve. There's a guy on f- one of the Facebook groups telling me that every one of his high school players, boys and girls, has a great kick serve. I mean, come on, man. Really? I've, I don't coach high school, but I know a lot of high school kids. I know the level they're at, and I know they're not producing enough power in their shoulder to produce a good kick. Come on, give me a break. It's not even worth it's not even worth arguing with someone. Anyone who's going to say that, it's, like I said, it means their definition of a kick serve is a lot. The threshold is a lot lower than what I what I would call a kick serve, and or maybe they just don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what to say. All right. Sorry, guys. This is my rant of the show. I don't, is it a rant? Am I being too harsh? I just, this is a no-brainer. This is not even worth worth arguing about. Victor Manny is watching. We've got a lot of people waving. Thank you so much, guys. Naeem Azar is watching. Thank you, Naeem. Thank you for sharing. Guys, if you're tuning in and you're not shy, let us know where you're tuning in from. I love getting international viewers. I love helping parents and families and players from around the world. That's one of my big passions, especially if you got kids. If you have any questions about your kids or about young players, that is one of my areas of expertise. I work with a lot of junior players. So that's where some of my deepest knowledge is in developing young players, especially on the technical side. I love working on technique, and I'm really into biomechanics and, and uh, uh, technique, for especially for young players, especially for children. And that's one of the areas I wanted to talk about tonight. I wanted to talk about whether we should teach tactics or technique first to children, or whether we should teach flat drive or spin to children. Let's get into that debate a little bit. If you have any questions about Spanish tennis, you know that's one of my favorite topics, If you ask a Spanish tennis question, you probably get me talking too long. That's another area of my expertise. I wrote a popular book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis, that I'm actually working on a follow-up to right now. Guys, I have a new book that I'm working on. Would you like to know the name? It's called The Little Book of Spanish Tennis Wisdom. Yeah, The Little Book of Spanish Tennis Wisdom. And it's a quotation book with from and it holds all of the like the, all of the great coaches from Spain that I've studied with and I, I try to have a quote on each I have a quote on each page with also with pictures and sharing all like the wisdom from Tony Nadal and Luis Bruguera and Pato Alvarez and I, I tried to get the best of their knowledge and put it into a little book. It's awesome little book. I'm working on it right now. Anyway, okay, let's see what the questions are. Marcus Dayton says, true for the ladies and also not being pervy. (laughs) Marcus Dayton, this is a family show. What's going on here? The breasts can highly affect how hard a girl can. Yeah, it's true. Guys, the breasts come in, they affect technical training for girls. It's a fact, you know, if the. Girls have large breasts. It, gets, you know, it affects their stroke mechanics. That's what Marcus is saying. It's not, it's not pervy, Marcus. <laughs> but this is a PG program. What would Sammy say? Sammy. Sammy's sleeping. Sammy says this is a PG program. Come on, guys. I've got three kids myself, and there could be some children watching. All right. Let's get to some of the questions. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty and then I got to go sleepy night-night. I think I might work on the ambulance tomorrow. I might take a shift on the ambulance tomorrow. All right, guys. Alejandro Mauricio Fuentes is watching. Thank you, Alejandro, for, for watching the show. We appreciate your support. Fabian Ravetta is watching. Thanks for waving. Marcus says, same in golf and the reasons why ladies use a bag full of woods over irons. Interesting, Marcus. Interesting. Okay, we've got my Padel friends. Lots of Padel friends. Yes. Thank you for watching. Bayou Kurniawan is watching. Thank you for waving. Petty Perez is watching. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Let's see. Sterling Strawler says it's got to have some juice. Okay, Sterling, come on, man. Back me up on this. You can't teach a kick serve to every player who comes through the door. If you're doing that, you're making a big mistake. Come on, Somebody back me up. You got these people running around saying they teach a kick serve to everybody. All right, I got to get to another topic or something. I can't go on like this forever. Marcus Dayton says he either has no clue what a kick serve is or he's full of crap. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You get people who say, oh, that's a kick serve, but it's got, you know, like 400 RPM. You know, the kick serve has got to be how many thousands of RPM to get a real good one. That's why girls don't do it. Oftentimes the girl, the girls, they can learn it. I've taught a kick serve to a lot of girls. And then I regretted it two years later because I wasted all that time because they're kicking up the serve and it's just getting spanked. I should have taught them a slice, better slice, and then spent all that time on something else. You know, there's an opportunity cost to spending a year or two on a kick serve with a girl or, or a petite boy, whatever. I'm not being sexist, guys. I I'll try to teach a girl a good kick if they have the arm to do it. It needs to have juice. Thank you, Sterling. Thank you. Brian Ha is watching. Regular on the show. Thanks for watching. Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for the support. Let me know if you have any questions, guys. Post them up on the board. All right. Let's see what we got here. Daniela Atanasova is watching. Thank you for waving, Daniela. Appreciate it. Lucas Biondi is watching. Oh, my gosh. That's my old student, Lucas what's up buddy you at NYU great school should go to medical school there medical school's free buddy they have free medical school at NYU it's unbelievable Sterling says I have experienced that when I train children technique tactics accompany the technique nothing too difficult obviously but a child needs to know why they are learning technique that's tactical oh yes Sterling you're getting into my question About technique or tactics first come on guys let's get into this debate a little bit technique or tactics first to young children okay so this dovetails with GBA which is game-based approach versus for the lack of a better term traditional tennis technique the traditional technical approach but That's kind of a setup because when you call it traditional, it already makes it sound like it's old school, and I guess it is, and GBA is more modern, but I got to tell you, I really believe that for certain kids, teaching technique first, better. And I'm not saying every kid, but I'm saying for some kids, maybe a lot of kids, that you can I can't prove this, and nobody can prove that GBA is better either, that tactics first is better either, but I really believe that with a certain group of kids, especially based on their personality and the way they learn motorically, how, how they learn their motor skills, how quickly, how adept they are at learning motor skills, that with certain kids, the technical approach first, and, in, and sometimes in an isolated way is actually much better and faster in order to get from A to B, and B is a high-level player. And I'll have to explain that more. But getting back to the idea of technique first, I want people who are really into tactics first to explain to me how Russia produces so many good players. A very technical country. And sometimes is my understanding, I, I'm not an expert on Russian tennis, but I've read some articles, I've watched some videos and, you know, talked to some folks that many times they don't even let the kids play. They do a lot of shadow and technical work. They do only let the kids play until the technique is quote unquote, right, whatever that, you know, whatever that means. That's a big debate in and of itself, what right is. We can get into that too. Parabolic forehand. Inverted finish. Jumping. You know what I like. Blah, blah, blah. All that jazz. I don't like to follow through to the shoulder. You know what? I, you know, I'm shaking it up with the, the new technical model for U10. I'm telling you, I'm going to get the new technique in for U10. I'm working on that. It'll probably happen in another lifetime. Next generation, maybe. But Somebody who's into tactics first, explain to me how Russia produces so many good kids. Because you would think with that heavily technical approach, all of the players would be failing, like in the teenage years or as when they got to adults, like they would be failing in terms of being able to put together points or in order to win tactically. And the other thing that I have that I want to say about tactics first is why do we have to teach so many tactics to kids under 10 what does the research show in terms of development that a kid is a kid more attuned to tactics are they more able to pick up tactics at that age because in my experience with little kids they're kind of boneheads you know like they they don't have much of an attention span and when you start to talk to them about this strategy or that strategy it's, it's pretty rudimentary. It's not like high-level strategy or tactics with these, little, these young kids. And therefore, I ask everyone who's watching and people who watch the archive of this show, hopefully we got a lot of people watching, that why can't you just teach that simple tactical stuff when the kid's like 10, 11, 12, 13? Because it's pretty basic. You know, it's not that complicated. Like, you hit cross-court... You change direction, you want to keep the ball deep, maybe you want to take the ball forward if it's short, you want to maybe use your weapon to attack, you know, it's pretty standard tactical stuff that they teach in GBA U10, you know, red, orange, green U10. It's pretty, it's pretty rudimentary tactical stuff. Like, why do we have to teach that? Why do we have to fill up all the lessons with that U10? Because I would prefer to fill up a lot of those lessons and the time. This is, this gets back to another argument that I have, that it takes so much time to do GBA. It's so time-consuming. You have to always start with a game, and then you have to go from, you know, they have this hourglass concept where you have to go from a game or a tactical open environment to a close, to open. Like, why, why do we have to take all that time? And sometimes some kids just want to learn that, They wanna learn technique, man. They wanna learn how to move their feet properly. Just teach them, just teach them. Not everything has to be implicitly learned. Not everything has to be guided discovery. And sometimes that stuff is good. I'm not, I use GBA, I use games-based approach a lot with certain kids, but not all the kids. And that's the problem that I have with GBA advocates is they, they, they shove it down your throat and they tell you that it's the best method It's a universal method for everyone. And that's a bunch of bullshit. I'm just going to say it. That's total bullshit. And I I know it's bullshit because I, I work with hundreds of kids in the trenches. I do it day in and day out. And I know there are kids that prefer to work on technique and that benefit from working on technique first. I know there are kids like that. So when GBA people get up there and they say this is the method for everybody, this is the universal method, I know that's false. I know it's a false claim. I know it. It may be good for a lot of kids or some kids or whatever, but don't tell me that it's good for every kid because I know that's not true. I've had many, many students who just wanted to learn technique. They were analytical. Maybe they were struggled a little bit motorically. They needed a lot of repetition, and they knew that. And they just wanted, for God's sakes, they just wanted a coach to toss them some balls and tell them what to do. Is that so wrong? They just wanted a coach to tell them what to do. They didn't want a coach to just set up parameters and set up a tactical game and hope that they they figured it out, that the tactic will train the skill. Because that's not always the case. Many times when you set up a tactic or a game, it doesn't always train the skill. Some kids get lost in that game. They get lost in that tactical environment. But you never hear that from the diehard GBA guys. You never hear that. You always hear about how it's going to solve all the problems. Anyway, let me get to a few questions here, guys. Am I way off? I mean, am I way off here or am I making some sense? I feel very passionately about this because when you have theoreticians, people that are creating theories, and you have scientists and you have pedagogues, you have people who study learning and teaching methods, and they get up there and they tell you that your experience with kids i mean real experiences for years for over for a long time i've been working with kids almost 15 years in the trenches now and when people get up there who are who are basically theorists and they tell you that actually your experience with little kids is not true it didn't actually happen it's a, you know, it really pisses me off you know it, it really gets me frustrated all right Sorry, George Herrera is watching. Let's get to some questions, you know. Sterling says, you're right. It's ridiculous about the kick serve. Not every player can hit a legit kick serve. Yeah, I think the key term, Sterling, is legit kick serve. I mean, yeah, I can teach a topspin to pretty much anybody. I can teach a topspin to a grandma. I can teach a topspin to one of the ladies at the club playing doubles. But that is not a serve that's going to benefit them in competition. And it could potentially injure them. And it's a, it's a waste of time. You know, that's the, that's what, you, know you, spend, you could spend six months or a year on a kicker when you could be working on a whole lot of other stuff. There's an opportunity cost. So when I see coaches saying that they're so great at teaching the kick serve that they can teach anybody, I'm like, wow, you know, okay, you go do that. You know, my students are going to be kicking your students' asses. Because we're going to be working on stuff that actually helps them in a match. All right, Matt Brewer is watching. What's up, Matt? Thanks for waving. Sterling says, my 12 and under are killing it with the slice serve. That's the first spin serve I teach, not the kick. Yeah, and that's another legitimate debate, Sterling. What serve to teach first? I actually think there are many ways to climb that mountain. And I've, I've put a lot of thought into that. And I am very much a hardware Dude, you know, I'm a hard, I, I'm, I am a big hardware coach. I'm fascinated by the software side of the game and coaching, and I'm actually trying to bolster up my software type training. But at my heart, come on, you guys know me. You've seen all the videos on YouTube, and I, I'm a hardware guy. I love doing technique. Technique has been my first love, my passion since I got started in coaching, got the understudy with the great technicians. I, I'm a hardware guy. And I'm, I'm trying to learn the software game. The software game really interests me. The cognitive game. I love the motoric, but I'm very much interested, fascinated by the cognitive. And I'm interested in ways that I can link the cognitive to my motoric training with my students. But gosh, don't tell me that you got to always do the cognitive first. Please don't tell me that because I know it's not true. I know kids get tri- tripped up. They get trapped. They get confused. There are, there are, there's a certain type of kid that that is just not a good formula for. And I, I just think you just don't hear that from the GBA folks. You don't hear that from the red, orange, green folks. You never hear that. And I know it's true. I know it's a truth. All right. Yeah, getting back to Sterling's comment about teaching slice, kick, or flat to young kids, I know a lot of coaches that do it different ways. I think there's different ways to climb that mountain. A lot of coaches teach the flat ball. The slice is a good option. Very natural and biomechanically safe and sound serve to teach the young kids. Kick serve is tough. I teach it, especially to my talented kids. I sometimes don't teach it to the kids that that struggle motorically because I think it's a very complex, complicated serve. That's another thing. One commentator on the Facebook group this week, he he said that the kick serve is just like any other stroke. You can teach it to anyone just like any other stroke. And I think that's a bunch of hogwash. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's ludicrous. The kick serve is the most difficult shot to teach in tennis, in my opinion, on the hardware side. By far, much more difficult than a forehand or a backhand or a volley kick serve hardest sh- I, I say it all the time to my students toughest shot to learn in the game motorically and biomechanically very difficult sir very unnatural very counterintuitive sir and that's why it's one of the most popularly searched you know, questions, topics on the internet. You know, the Kickserve is probably the most popular search item on the internet, on Google, is how do you learn a Kickserve? How do you do it? And anyone who does online content knows that and that's why they're so popular. Videos on the Kickserve and courses on the Kickserve are extremely popular because it's kind of an esoteric it's an esoteric subject. A lot of people don't know how to do it and a lot of coaches don't know how to teach it. It's not known by everybody. And it's very difficult to learn a good one. Like Sterling says, yeah, you can learn a little topspin, but come on, that's not a a legit kick serve. You know, legit is legit. Bouncing over someone's shoulders. You know. Sorry to get off on a rant on the kick serve, guys. Jim Kane says, my buddy Jim, what's up? Thanks for joining the program. Jim says, sounds like a great book in the making. Does your personal competitive play take a back seat and regress with all the lessons? Jim says, Hi, Sterling. <laughs> you know what, guys? This is what I want to write. I've been meaning to put together an article, maybe for a PTR magazine, one of the coaching magazines, USPTA magazine, where I talk about how to keep your game sharp as a coach. And I think I've got a lot of good tricks because I'm still playing some pretty good ball. I'm telling you, when I'm, I'm, I'm still playing Futures Qualies. I'm going to play the ITF World Circuit this, this spring and summer. I'm, I'm playing well, and I, I won't tell you my age. You can look up my age on my ITF profile if you really want to. But I'm getting up there now. I know I, I have that young, that young vibe. I want to stay young forever, man. Playing competitive tennis helps you stay young, by the way. But I have a lot of tricks in my, in my bag to help coaches stay sharp when they're teaching. Jim. Jim, you can email me directly or we can chat. Next workshop, are you gonna come up to the workshop maybe? We've got a big workshop coming up on January 21st on advanced Spanish drills. We can talk about that. I've got a lot of, I think some insight into that because if you're not careful, teaching can destroy your game and it can bring your UTR way down. You gotta be really careful when you're, when you're teaching, when you're hitting with players, Your racket speed can go down. You can lose your racket speed, literally lose your racket speed. You can lose your footwork, your timing. You can develop all sorts of bad habits. So I have a lot of tricks to stay in good form that are also good for my students. The better you play, it's better for your students. You know, you don't want to lose your game. It'd be a nice article for coaches, you know, how to stay sharp as a coach, as a player. So let's get to some of the... The questions here. Scott Groth is waving. I got to catch up to the comments, guys. I'm sorry. I will try to get to everyone's comment. If I don't get to your comment on air, I always go back through the comments later and I try to answer as many questions as I can, all all the questions if I can. If they're on the comment board, I I will try to answer all of them. Dan Pancraz is watching, or Pancraz. Dan, this is my buddy from Australia. What's up? How's your little superstar? Let me know. I hope she's not learning a kick serve yet. She's too young. Come on. Marcus Dayton says, my daughter is the only girl on her college team. I'm assuming that's with a kick, right? Heck, almost everyone on conference... Oh, sorry. Almost only one-on-one, one-on-conference that can actually hit and drive through a kick service that has power. Yeah, I wonder what college level that is. It's just very common that girls slice. And the reason they slice, sometimes it's because coaches don't teach them a kick. But many times the coach makes a strategic decision to teach them more of a slice because it's more effective. And they can win more with that. Because the kick serve gets hammered in girls' tennis. On the WTA or ITF or top junior girls' tennis, the kick serve just gets hammered. So it's not a serve that you want to spend a lot of time working on. With, with many girls, unless they're like a Sam Stozer, or they're a Serena, or a Kuznetsova, someone with a really good arm, you know, they can learn it. They can learn it just like the guys. Sterling says, what's up, Jim? Nate Pagel says, technique versus tactics and drive versus topspin sounds interesting, but I'm mostly interested in your thoughts on the first shots. Oh, no. You're going to drag me into the first four shots debate? I was just on a call with Sterling about that. We were talking about all the good work he's doing guys Sterling Strother's doing some great work on the cognitive tactical aspects of the first four shots and he's going to be he's got a lot of exciting stuff coming out I think he's got an app coming out really cool stuff and I think he's doing some good work everything he tells me makes a lot of good sense and he's very passionate and he's put a lot of thought into designing practices with a tactical cognitive component I'm all for that I just don't want to lose the Spanish way, guys. I want to combine some of that good stuff that Sterling's doing with the good old-fashioned Spanish grind, building patience and consistency and stuff like that. I don't want to hear people in the industry saying that the Spanish way was a fad. And I've heard that, okay? I've heard people saying that, that the Spanish way, Spanish method is no longer effective. And I don't I don't believe in that. I don't agree with that. And so I, I'm hearing a lot of that. I I told Sterling that there are a lot of Spanish haters. There's a lot of Spanish haters. And there's a lot of people that hate the Spanish style on the pro tour. And they hate that grinders have taken over. They hate that baseline play has taken over. A lot of people are really upset that the Spanish style took over tennis. And I understand that. I get it. You know, I get the way tennis was with serving volley and attacking the net and things like that. I grew up a serving volleyer. Come on, guys. I'm very in touch with this. I'm I'm in tune with this. But I certainly don't hate the Spanish system, the Spanish methodology. And I think there's so many brilliant aspects to it, obviously. I wrote the book on it. Stake my whole reputation on that. And... What I'm hearing is a lot of the proponents and the, the people who are spreading recommendations for the first four shots and stuff based on that data and that research, they're, they're saying that Spanish tennis is dead. They're saying, that, they're saying that the Spanish way is outdated and they're saying, see, we need to teach first strike again. You see, first strike is the way to go. And the way the Spanish do it is overkill. The way the Spanish do it is misguided. The way the Spanish do it is is not effective. And I, I just don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. I think there's a middle ground here where you can teach a lot of the Spanish stuff that's so golden and brilliant. You know, the patience, the defense, defense. That's an important one. The consistency. The shot tolerance, the sol- being solid, you know, you can teach that and also work on a lot of the aspects of first four, especially as kids get older. You know, I work with a lot of young kids, and so I believe building a base, a solid base, is so critical, so important for little kids. And I don't like to see a lot of coaches taking the first four shots information and now teaching little kids a very short attention span game. Because I believe one of our jobs as a as a coach, our jobs in many ways is to help kids focus longer and to develop their concentration. And I think if you take some of the recommendations and you apply them to little kids, you're gonna get kids with very, even shorter attention spans than they have currently. And right now, let me tell you, the average attention span of a little kid is pretty pretty darn short. Okay, so that's some of the thoughts that I have. Nate, feel free to follow up, and let's get into it more. Maybe Sterling has a comment. He, he's very, very intelligent and well-spoken guy, and I think his recommendations are pretty reasonable, actually, but I've heard a lot of dissing that is disrespecting of the Spanish way. And I think that's a shame because I think there's a lot of nuggets in the Spanish system that we can all learn from. And I I guess you could say I'm biased, but I try to look at things very objectively. And I, I think that no matter who you are and what type of game style you teach or what type of game style you like, I think the Spanish approach has some very important elements that all coaches can learn from. And that's kind of the reason why I wrote the book, and I, I talked about that in my book. Let's see. Marcus Dayton says I agree with that. The the slice serve. I think he likes the slice serve for young kids. Yeah, slice serve is good for young kids. Very natural, biomechanically safe and sound. Sterling stroller says it's coming, man. Sterling, Sterling's got some big stuff on the horizon, 2019. Very exciting, Sterling. Very exciting. I'll share that with everyone. You know, well, I'm happy to share with my. Intelligent audience. I say the high IQ tennis audience. Yeah. Let's see. Rosario Escolar Retuerta. Thanks for waving. I think you're a regular on the show. Thank you for joining the program again. If it is again. Okay, let me get to some comments. I'm way behind. I'm so sorry. Maybe it's my fault tonight, guys. I just felt like airing some of those grievances. I'd like to talk about flat versus spin, if I could, really quick, too. I don't mean to dominate. The discussion too much. I'm sorry. Marcus Dayton says the truth is the USDA does not do go around to every court and find the best and strongest and cultivate those players. Okay, is that a USDA comment? It looks like it. Well, I've always said this and I'll just say it again. I think the most talented kids they are in the inner city. They're in the Bad neighborhoods, urban areas, and they're all playing basketball or football or something like that. And we just need to get some of those kids into tennis and we will dominate the world. It's quite simple. It's as simple as that. I'm I'm being a little sarcastic, but it's, to me, when when you get the cream of the crop DNA, when you get those athletes into tennis, we win. U.S. tennis wins, you know. So Marcus says, that is why you see more Russians as they do not leave the good ones behind. Yeah, that's a good point, Marcus. In Russia, getting back to the question of games-based or game-based versus technique-first, tactics or technique-first, in Russia, they do a really good job of talent ID, don't they? Nate Pagel says, I think technique-first can be very effective for some, but very hurtful for others because they lose interest and aren't having fun. Right, and that is the double-edged sword. That is exactly the double-edged sword. Definitely some students will do better with technique first, but I would do tactics GBA for most kids. Yeah, and and you can make a good case for that, Nate. You know, I don't know where I come down on that because I work mainly with the high-performance kids, so I think some of the kids are sort of self-selected they come to me and they're, they're pretty athletic and they're ready to get serious. I see a lot of those types of kids. So I don't do a lot of coaching where I have to make tennis fun. In fact, I don't really see that as a priority of my own coaching. What, what I do is take kids who are, have already decided that tennis is fun, but they've made another decision that they want to play seriously. They want to be really competitive. And that's really where the kids initiate their tennis training with me. So that's sort of the the cohort that I see and so maybe maybe you're right that with the majority of kids the GBA tactics first is more fun and it gets them into the game. I have no doubt about it that the tactics first games based approach, whatever you want to call it, game based approach, you know it has some debate about whether it should be called game based or games as in plural games based. But whatever you want to call it, it's fun, and it gets kids hooked, and I think that's a positive. So that is on the plus column, or in the plus column for GBA and Tactics First, that's a huge one, and that's what Nate is addressing there. That's what Nate's saying there. So yeah, maybe because of the work that I do, I'm seeing the kids that are already past that stage, and they they need technique they want and a lot of them want to do technique or maybe even there's some other differences with the type of kids that come to me i have a lot of kids who come to me from who are analytical and they they maybe because of my reputation as a technician maybe in some ways i see a lot of those types of children they self-select they they come to me because they already their parents want technique the kids want technique and i see a lot of those families but but that doesn't undermine what i'm saying is that i i don't appreciate gba advocates getting up there on stage or at conferences and saying that gba is absolute universally determined universal best way to train children i I don't appreciate that and i don't think there's if there is evidence of that, it's debatable evidence. It's a, this is a big debate, and the debate is not over by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I think the science is on both sides. Uh, the research in sports science is not conclusive yet. So it's just, I think it's wrong for people to say stuff like that. No. Okay. All right. Drexler Inguadai is waving, or D. Thank you for waving. Appreciate it. Got a great show tonight. Guys, I appreciate all your support. I'm enjoying the conversation. Marcus Dayton is on fire. Tactics come as time, as the level of player improve. But without a technical game, much of the tactics never work out anyways. Yeah, Marcus, that's an argument for technique first, and I would tend to agree with you, but you don't hear that from the leading GBA people. And uh, I'm talking about a lot of the people over in Europe, especially in England. You may know some of the people I'm thinking of. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to get in trouble. But you may know who I'm talking about. That is sort of... Uh, there, there's a question about... I, I'm interested in what they do in France and Belgium because they have a very strong GBA approach and they are known for building very good technique. So I'm wondering how they do that. And I'd like to learn more. I, I have studied it a little bit. I am, I'm f- somewhat familiar with the Belgian guidebook or handbook. They have they have a very long progression book where the kids have to reach certain benchmarks to move along in, in the different levels of, of balls, colored, colored balls. And I'm going to France this summer before I go to Spain. I spend a month in Spain and in Europe, and I'm going to spend a little time at some French academies because I really want to learn exactly what how they see U10 development. I'm I'm fascinated by the divide, the philosophical divide between some of the European countries and some of the maybe Eastern European countries, or let's take Russia, for example, and, and the way they see junior development. Even Germany, as I understand it, Germany has a big debate right now about how to teach children, and there's a big debate about motoric learning, you know, motor learning, and what's better, tactics first or technique first, so. This is something that I'm exploring a lot in my own reading and and self-study. So let's see what else we got on the board here. Nate says, I think a lot of countries where it's not as great an environment, like some players and coaches that I've worked with, need tennis to get a better life. If they're talented, they will stick with it. Whereas in the U.S. and other better off areas, the kids have more choices. So if they aren't enjoying it, they just try something else. That's probably right, Nate. I think you're right there. And, you know, I think I, I'm I'm more interested in the science and the efficacy, the studies of efficacy of which is better. I want to know which is better for U10. And if not better, I want to know what which is better for what type of learner and what type of personality type. Because I, I strongly believe that a tactics first approach could be better and more appropriate for a certain type of learner. And I think a technique first approach might be better for another type of learner. And as you know, if some of you have read some of my work, you know I call those I call that spectrum the magician versus the mechanic. You have a magician who are very creative type kids who maybe have a slightly shorter attention span, big picture thinkers, and they love to play. They love to play competitively games and be creative. And you have mechanics who are very analytical. They may not be as talented motorically, and they, they, they know that they need reps, they need repetitions, and they like to know a lot of the details of a stroke or a movement or, or whatever they're learning. And those types of players, the mechanical players, they actually like to drill. They actually enjoy drilling. And I try to explain this to some of the GBA folks because I've seen this in my work in the trenches. And also, I didn't just think of this theory out of the blue. I took this theory from Paul Anacone, who's a very well-respected coach, who had the same theory about the players that he's worked with on the tour. He called them magicians and mechanics. For example, you have certain players in history who love to drill and do a lot of repetitive work. And Anacone, he called those players Mechanics Like, for example, Yvonne Lendl is a classic mechanic. Jimmy Connors, classic mechanic. You know, guys that love to do lots of reps, you know, repeating strokes over and over again until they, they felt that they got it. And you have very, some notorious and famous magicians, like John McEnroe is a very famous one, Pete Sampras to a certain extent, possibly Roger Federer. You know, guys who are very gifted players who don't necessarily like to drill that much. Maybe Rogers kind of in the mi- in the middle, like a mix. But take McEnroe, for example, a very famous personality who never liked to drill. You know, he played doubles for practice, and he thought drilling was stupid. You know, S-T-O-O-P-I-D, stupid, stoop, stupid. And so he would look at the way a guy like Lendl practiced, and he would just think it's stupid, you know, it's just what, what do you get out of that, it's, it's just repetition, there's nothing tactical, it doesn't teach you how to play at all, and then Lendl would look at the way, I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically, you know, Lendl would look at the way a guy like McEnroe practiced and he said, you know, how can, he, how can he play well after that kind of shitty practice with no repetition and it's just all playing, how does he learn that way, you know, and those are the two sides of the divide and i see that in juniors i see that in little kids all the time so it's pretty frustrating when i know that that's a that's a real personality spectrum i know it i I, can, I don't know if i can prove it scientifically i'm not a scientist but i know it exists that spectrum of personality and learning style and so it's 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 just insulting it's insulting to my intelligence when you have gba folks get up there and they say that their method is the best for every kid on that spectrum. And I know it's not. I know it's not the case. I know it. All right. Let's get to some more questions. Guys, it's Sunday night. Big show. I had a long weekend. Tomorrow, I might go work on the ambulance. I'm a volunteer EMT in my city. City of Hoboken. Hoboken, New Jersey. Right by New York City. I might go on the ambulance tomorrow. See how I feel help some people out in the community right now I got to get to some of these questions let's see Nate says I agree there is no one universal best method there's never a never and there's never an always there's always an exception to the rule Nate that's very intelligent thing to say and a quite reasonable thing to say but that's not what you hear from a lot of the diehard tactics first guys it's just not what you hear and that's why I think it's insulting it's insulting to our intelligence. I know there's a spectrum, and they don't, res- they don't respect the spectrum. And I think they turn a, a blind eye or turn a deaf ear to little kids who want to drill. There are certain kids who want to drill. They want to learn technique, and they want to be told how to do it. And I'd like to explore, like, who exactly are those kids? How do you, how do you identify them? What exactly is the personality profile? Is it a brain typing issue? You know, I'd like to ask Frank Giampallo that. I bet he'd have some good insight into this because he's been studying a lot of brain types for tennis. You know, I'd like to explore that more, but I know those types of kids are out there because I've worked with them many, many times. It's not like a figment of my imagination. They're real. They're real kids, you know. So I imagine those kids in a a GBA environment, in a tactics-first environment are very frustrated kids and actually their progress is stymied. Their, their improvement, they will improve, but they may be very frustrated. They might actually not enjoy the, the tactics first approach. They might actually be quite unhappy. And I, I see many kids who are very unhappy when they're thrust into a games-based environment or game-based environment, very unhappy. And you never hear that from GBA. If GBA is done right, according to them, if it's done right by a good coach, GBA is for everyone. It is the panacea it is the cure-all. It is the answer to all of our prayers. And that's just not the case. It's it's a good method. It's useful. It's a useful tool to train children to get the cognitive aspects worked on at a, at a young age or at any age. But don't tell me it's right for every single kid. I'm tired of hearing that. It's just how can, you, how can you say that? It's just, when, when a guy says that, it makes me feel like they've never been in the trenches with lots of children, you know, like hundreds of children over the past decade or, or more like, like I have. It makes me feel like they don't actually know children or that maybe they never have kids themselves. or they have a family? I mean, just look at your own kids. The kids are wired differently. They're not all the same. They don't learn the same. that makes sense what I'm, what I'm getting at here? kids are wired differently, and different pedagogical approaches are good for different kids. But it's whenever you hear one pedagogy, the people from one pedagogy start to say, we're the best, we're the only way, we got the answer for everyone. You know it's false. You know it's not right. It's not true. All right, let's see. Jim says, Hey, Chris, I believe you are a premier technique guru. Well, thanks a lot, because I was getting flamed on Facebook this week. I have some trolls out there, and they're telling me that I'm actually just an above-average coach. I'm actually not that great a coach, and I don't have a very impressive track record. I mean, go to my website. I have a very good track record. Am I saying I'm the greatest coach in the world? No. But I have a very good track record, and I have a strong expertise in technique, and I have a lot of experience teaching technique, the hardware side to young children, I mean, that's not bluster, that is not salesmanship, that's just what it is, that's what I've dedicated my life and my career to doing, that's what I do, so when people get up there and start trolling me and telling me that I have a subpar record, or I'm not legit, or I'm just f- all full of hot air, it's, it's, whatever. I'm not even going to get into that. If someone's going to say that, it's just insulting and it's ignorant. You know, I do a good job, and I have a lot of evidence to show I have a very good track record. So Jim says, i got to defend myself. Sorry, guys. I saw Sterling's video using foam ball to teach technique, and it seems to work. Well... You can, use, you can use foam balls to teach technique. You can use red, orange, green to teach technique. They do that in France and Belgium. They do it very well. That's a good idea because it slows, it slows the, down the pace of, of, of the rally and the kids have more time to think through the, the motoric skill that they're working on. I just use yellow balls most of the time. Sometimes I use green with some of my younger kids. But you know, I'm doing mostly private lessons too. I think if I did more groups with little kids, I might I might use a little more red, orange, green because I I don't do I don't do groups really with with really young with the really young ones. The prodigies that come to me, it's all privates where I can control the pace of the rally. I can control everything because I'm a good player, so I, I can control the ball for them and make it sit up for them so they can work on the motoric skill that they need. So yeah, Jim, using Different balls is is perfectly good for teaching technique. I think it's a good idea. The one concern that I have is sometimes if you spend too long fooling around with the balls, you waste time. I'm all about trying to figure out how to save time. So that would be my only caveat on that. Okay, Sterling says there is a balance. Oh, Sterling wrote a long one here. I'm going to try to distill the knowledge there has to be there is a balance between GBA and technical skills toggling back and forth yeah but Sterling the guys in England the guys in Europe who are really into GBA are not saying that they are saying that GBA is modern and is cutting edge and is the best possible way to train all kids universally the best that's what they're saying They're not saying, oh, these are two different ways and we should use them depending on who it is. They're not saying that. Okay. Sterling says, the best coaches are beginning to balance these two. It's like hard work versus talent. Some tactics, some technique. You have to have both to have the ultimate package. Yeah. So he says, strategy with children under 12, it's pretty basic. But the earlier you get kids thinking, the better. See, I, I, I think I could debate that with you, Sterling. I think, yeah, I like it. I try to, inc- I will introduce as much cognitive as I can. I, I'm telling you, I like, the, I like the software side. I'm trying to get more into the software side. But I don't want it to interfere with the motoric learning. And if I sense that it is going to interfere with the motoric learning, I just won't teach it until later. You know, I'll do the cognitive a little later. And some kids need that. Some kids are not that gifted. They don't learn that well when you're teaching them skills. Like, they're not great mimics and things like that. And they just, they just want you to stop talking to them about tactics. And they just want you to tell them what to do with, with their technique. Like, where should they put their hand? How should they swing? Like, don't give me the guided discovery tour. I just want to know how I'm supposed to do it. There are kids who are wired that way. Please, I don't need the professors or the sports scientists getting up there and telling me that there are no kids in the world wired that way. I know there are kids wired that way. They want structure. They want to be told what to do. They want the coach to lead them. That is, in many ways, our job. Our job to do that. Now, some kids learn very well through implicit learning and guided discovery. Usually, they're very gifted motorically. So that they're able to mimic very easily. They're able to learn motor skills with fewer repetitions than the, the kids I was talking about before. Those kids can really thrive in a GBA environment. They can really thrive with tactics first and mixing cognitive with motoric. They can thrive in that environment and do really well. But not all kids are like that. Come on. Every kid's wired differently. It's a spectrum, people. You know, so here's the question that I have, though, is let's say we're trying to get a kid pretty tactically sound by 13 or 14 with good technique. I mean, that's all of our our goal is at the end game, let's say 13 or 14, that the kid has a pretty good tactical awareness, pretty good cognitively, mentally, pretty good with the software, and pretty good with the hardware. That's our goal, right? I'm just saying... Just saying, there's more than one way to do that. It's not just GBA or the highway. I mean, you can do it with technique and then add in the cognitive a little bit later. Like, let's say you do a lot of technique, uh, eight, nine, seven, 8, 9, 10, and then you hit the kids really hard with the cognitive 11, 12, 13. I think at 14, you're going to have a pretty good player there, you know? Certainly by 18, if they have... Six or seven years of tactical cognitive training after they learn good technique under 10? You tell me that player is not gonna know how to play the game of tennis? Come on. Really? You have to teach them all the tactics under ten? Why do you have to cram it all in under ten? Why? I don't I don't think that's true. Seriously. And I happen to know that it's false because there are so many case examples. I want to say case studies. There are so many examples of players from, let's take Russia, getting back to Russia. Players from Russia who are taught almost exclusively technically in their younger years. I'm talking under 10, maybe even 11 or 12, like extreme technical. And I hope I got that right. If there are any any Russian coaches on the program. Let me know if I'm getting that right because that's my understanding of how it goes down and it may be evolving but you know that's traditionally how it goes down and then those players they come to Spain and there's a pipeline to Spain and what they do in Spain is they do a great job with the cognitive and the tactical and there's been so many players who have taken that route with the technical first in Russia and then going to Spain for their tactical for the finishing school. They go to Spain for tactical finishing school and cognitive finishing school. And they learn how to play. Especially they learn how to play on red clay. And they all turn, it all turns out okay, guys. You know what? It, turn, it, it turns out all right. The cake gets baked and everyone gets the dessert at the end. Murat Safin did it. Dinara Safina did it. Igor Andreev did it. Many, many examples from Russia to Spain. And when you consider that, I think it really undermines the argument of GBA advocates because GBA guys, they want you to believe that their way is the only way, the best possible way. And it's just, if you look at the historical fact of Russian players going to Spain for finishing school, so they're doing their tactical later, so they're doing their technical first and tactical later, and they're producing dozens of really good players, world-class players. If you look at that example, you see that it works. That, that model works. Now, on the other hand, if you look at France and Belgium and some of the other countries, now, now England is huge into GBA and tactics first, huge. You know, and they do a pretty good job of it there. You look at France, who is doing it a lot differently. They're, they're doing a lot of the cognitive work, U10. So they're doing kind of a mix, cognitive and motoric. And they're turning out world-class players. You could say by 14 or by 18, whatever the, the age the, 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 on the horizon that you want to reference. And they're turning out really good players too. So like I said... There's more than one way to climb the mountain. I think that's what Sterling was getting at. He's saying there, there is a balance. But my point is, and I want to learn a lot more about what they do in France because I think the French are really good at balancing these, these two things, the motoric and the cognitive. They're really good at that, in a U, especially in a U10 environment. But you don't hear that again from the leaders of GBA, the, the gurus, the guys that are doing all the training courses and stuff like that, you just don't hear that. It's just GBA is the only way. It's the best way. It's not even worth debating. I mean, they just, they gaslight you. You know what gaslighting is? They make you think that you're crazy. If you think that GBA is not the best way for U10, they just make you think that, that you're, you're losing your mind. Ga- they gaslight you. And they tell you that you're stupid. S-T-O-O-P-I-D. Stupid. Stupid. They tell you you're stupid. You know, and you, I, I'm not stupid. Even if I was stupid, which I'm not, I know from experience working with lots and lots of kids that there are there's definitely a group of kids that doesn't respond well to tactics first. Definitely. Even if I was stupid, I'd know that. All right. All right, let's see. I got Dan Pankra... Dan Pancras. My friend from Australia is getting in here. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm getting to all the comments now. Dan says, you're making sense. Thanks, Dan. I mean, you don't have to say that just because you're on my show. You can disagree with me. I can take it. I I don't mind being trolled. It does bother me. I don't like getting trolled. Tell those guys to cut it out. I'm focusing on technique first and foremost with my seven-year-old. Tactics can be built in once she has the fundamentals locked in. Yeah, Dan, that's what I'm saying. But ooh, Dan, don't tell, don't tell the GBA people that because as far as they're concerned, you're ruining your child. Literally, you are ruining your kid. If you teach them technique first and you don't include the cognitive aspect under, t- under 10, your child's going to grow up and she's not going to have a clue how to play tennis. Malarkey. Bunch of baloney... And dare I say, shuck and jive. It's a bunch of shuck and jive. Come on, look at all the Russians going to Spain and learning how to play later. They're learning how to play the game later. Don't, look, take this example. If you took a kid, let's say at six, and you didn't mention a single thing to them tactically. I mean, not one, not one iota, not a single cognitive or tactical mention, not one thing to them. And you just focus on their technique. And let's say they got world-class technique by 10. And by the way, I think this is kind of how they do it in Russia. But let's just say we did that theoretically. You didn't even mention and nothing. I mean, they're just a total robot with beautiful strokes and beautiful footwork. You know, their motoric skills, beautiful. And you took that 10-year-old and you brought the 10-year-old to Spain. And they started playing on red clay at, a, at let's say, from 11 years old onward. So they got seven years on red clay in the Spanish system to learn how to play the game. Are you honestly going to tell me that that kid at 18 is going to be a bonehead tennis player? That they're not going to have a clue how to play tennis? Because they didn't get the cognitive training under 12, under 12 or under 10? I don't believe that. I'm not buying that. So anyone who tells you, Dan, that you're ruining your kid if you're focusing a little more on technique when they're young, don't believe it. Don't believe that. That is a bunch of shuck and jive. You're hearing that from a jive turkey. That's my take on it. Guys, let me know if you agree or disagree. Come on. That was a good theoretical. Come on, that was a good hypothetical. Are you with me or not on this? All right. Marcus says, I always say, well, here are the uh, records and awards I hold, so show me your results to those type of people. Yeah, but, you know, everything is relative. So, you know, you put up that you produce a lot of top 10 national-ranked players or top national-ranked players. Yeah, I mean, I haven't had any... ATP champions yet, so I'm just I'm just in a holding pattern. I'm producing a lot of good players I've got a really good track record. I'm not a famous coach Yet you got to have somebody break out and be a top tour player to become Kind of that go-to guy but I know I'm doing good work in the trenches with kids especially on their hardware and I, I do some software work, too. I'm, I'm getting better. I'm gonna have to come study with Sterling to learn more about the software. But yeah, you you, you show your record and then, and then people can like nitpick it or whatever. You know, at least I have a pretty solid record. You know, some people don't even have their record. Their record's not even, leg- a lot of coaches lie about their record. I'm not doing that. I'm legit, man. I'm a legit high performance coach. All right. Oh, that's, that is, uh, I, I don't consider shitty bad language, sorry, Marcus. That's my, that's my go-to bad word on the PG program, but don't tell my kids that. I'm not using any other profanity than that, okay? That's my, that's my big emphasis word. Shitty. Sorry, guys. I introduced a slice back for my seven-year-old over the weekend. Too early? It's never too early, but it's all about opportunity cost, Dan. You're teaching her to slice, that's cool, but does she have a good topspin two-hander? You tell me. Just focus your priorities on the topspin and good modern ground strokes. Just like my videos, inverted finish, elasticity, parabolic swing shapes, jumping, loading and exploding, open stances and closed stances, a mix, All that good stuff, teach that stuff to your U10 kids. Please, don't teach them technique from 1975. Come on, guys. Let's just move on. It's over. The 70s are over, guys. Just let it go. Stop following through to the shoulder, man. Just forget it. You don't need it anymore. Have the kids follow through to the hip like I do it. Have them follow through low. They can have a multitude of finishes from low up to like the bicep or the side of the shoulder. Come on, guys. Don't need to do the shoulder swing anymore. So stiff and tight. Anyway, Danny Hayato is watching. Danny, thanks for tuning in. You're a big supporter of the show. I think you're a regular. Let's see. Jim Kane says, guys, this is a lot of comments. This is a lot of work for me, you guys. There's a lot of buzz right now. Don't you guys get tired? Today I saw an attention to technique on a video by Sterling using different size foam balls, and the foam balls seem new and improved. I believe you are more in tune with traditional tennis balls, but I like how he addressed technique. What do you think? Block your eyes and ears, Sterling. (laughs) Ha, (laughs) ha, ha. Guys, here's another thing, okay? I'm just going to say it, and I don't want the whole tennis world to freak out. You can develop great technique with a yellow ball, okay? I'm just saying it. You don't need slow balls to develop great technique. You can use slow balls; they ha- they can be helpful. They can be a tool, as Jose Higuera says, one of my mentors. He says they are a tool. So, oh, says my iPhone storage is all full. Can you guys guys still hear me? I think I'm in trouble. My iPhone storage is all full. I hope that doesn't affect the broadcast here. I think I'm in trouble on my iPhone. All right. Where was I? Guys, you can develop good technique with a yellow ball. I'm not saying you have to use a yellow ball, but please don't tell me that if you use a yellow ball, you're ruining your little kid's game. Because right now, It's like we're living in a world where the cult leaders have taken over. The there's a cult. And if you don't do red, orange, green, you are a very bad boy, and your kid is actually gonna be ruined for life. Actually, not only are they gonna be ruined, but they're gonna be injured. You're actually gonna injure your kid if you dare play them with a the yellow ball. Oh, I mean it's you're actually a negligent parent if you request this and you're a negligent coach for doing this the level of cult worship of this red orange green movement is is off the charts you know and I will tell you that this movement I predict that this movement I don't wanna say it's a fad it's not a fad but the idea that red orange green is the only way for high performance, is it's gonna shift back. It will shift back at some point in the future because people are gonna realize that it doesn't have to be red, orange, green, or the highway, that there's a multitude of ways to develop players, and you can do it with a yellow ball. You can do it very well with a yellow ball. I'm doing it all the time. I do it all the time. Sometimes I use like a green ball with some kids. You know, especially if the parents requested, you know, I'm also doing a lot more privates. You know, I'm not doing as many groups, so I, I try to share that with you guys. I'm, if I was doing a lot of groups with little kids, like five, six, seven, I might use a different colored ball for that so we could work on some stuff. But I'm just telling you, you can do it with yellow ball. Anyone who says you can't develop a kid with yellow ball is out of their mind. And also, if they tell you as a parent, because I've had a lot of parents who come to me and they're looking for yellow ball training, and if a, if, if a coach says to you that you're going to injure your kid for sure, or that y- your kid won't be able to learn the game or won't be able to become a high-performance player if they don't use red, or- I mean, that red orange, green, that's just not, that's not true, okay? We could use some stronger words to describe that, but it's just not true. All right, I have parents who come to me and they're terrified of using a yellow ball. They're terrified of using a normal length racket or, or even a going up in size of a racket too soon because they, they don't want to injure their kid. And it's good to be worried about injuries. I'm obsessed with injuries myself, but we've got to use some common sense here. And uh, many times you can get a little kid who's kind of a big, strong kid. They can use a regular racket a lighter racket, and they can train with a yellow ball, and they're not going to end up with a severe Western grip. They're not going to end up with an injury. It's just not true if you do it right. If the coach is on top of things, if the coach is doing a good job, I mean, that kid will have good footwork, and he won't be taking balls over the shoulder, and he won't be, the coach won't let the grip slide. You know, it's more about the coach than the balls. If the coach is doing his or her job, then, you know, the player is going to turn out all right, that's the coach's job. It's not for me. The coach is more important than the balls, you know. All right, Marcus Dayton says, "I always base the service I begin with based off the natural movement of the player." Yeah, slice, kick, or flat. We can have that debate. What's best to teach young kids, guys? We didn't get into my flat or spin debate. Can should I tell you what I, my thoughts really quick on that? Flat or spin for young kids. Sterling says, cognitive training is very tough. The prefrontal lobe of the brain where all the decision making and problem solving occurs, that doesn't truly develop until age 21 to 24. Well, dude, if that's true, I, I, I don't know if that research is true. I, I, I trust you if, if most of the, is it, it doesn't happen earlier than that, 21 to 24. I mean, if that's true, let's say it is true. Why are we focusing so much on cognitive? U10. Why are we doing that? Why do we have to stuff it into all the lessons? You know what I mean? Like, why do we have to start every lesson with a game, and then transition to a little drills, and then go back to a game? And it takes a lot of time. It's good for some kids. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. But it, it's just so time consuming. It's not. A, it's not efficient. And some kids don't like that. They don't like that. They they like to do drills. I'm just going to keep saying that. There are some kids who like to drill. Can someone just please affirm that? There are some kids who like to drill. So obviously, using a game approach to, for those kids is not the right approach for those kids. I just wish we'd have some sanity and there were, that the leaders of the in, uh, in the industry would, and the leaders of GBA would, would just admit that. And they won't. It's driving me crazy. They're gaslighting me. They're telling me that that's not true. And I know it's true. I don't like being gaslit. Gaslighted. I'm being gaslighted and I don't like it. You know? Well, if it's true that the cognitive... Pre, the cognitive training in the prefrontal lobe, Sterling, if that's true, why are we shoving it into U10 so much? Why? I mean, you can say that it's fun. Okay, it's fun to play games. It's fun to work on tactics. But I'm talking from a high performance point of view. Why are we doing it to develop top players? And they do it in France. I can't wait to go visit some French academies. I haven't been, I've been to France. I have, I've been to a a few French academies in the past, but I haven't been there in a while. I really want to explore U10 in France and I want to understand what their basis is. What research are they basing their, movement to red, orange, green, and their movement into games-based approach or game-based approach for U10. What is their their reasoning and what is it based on? I want to know the research. I want to know if it's data-driven or is it opinion-driven? Is it opinion-driven or data-driven? Especially in France. I'm really interested in France because France is right next to Spain, and they have very different philosophies in terms of junior development between France and Spain. And they're both very successful, so I think it's very interesting to study both of them. I thought about writing a, a book, comparing and contrasting the two. It would be a very interesting book, maybe a long article. It would be very interesting. So let's, let me get to a, a few more comments and then... It's getting late, guys. I might need to go sleepy night-night. Sammy's already. Sammy didn't even help me tonight. I'm very disappointed in Sammy's performance. I mean, look at this guy. Sammy is not pulling his weight. He's not pulling his weight on this program. He's my footwork expert, and he doesn't even answer any of the questions. Rafael Aravelo is watching. Thanks for waving, buddy. Appreciate it. Marcus Dayton is laughing or crying with me. Thanks, Marcus. You've been a big contributor tonight, man. You're blowing up my show tonight. I love it. Mark Kovacs is watching. Uh-oh. Did I get in trouble, Mark? Mark, let me know if I said something wrong. I'm sorry if I said something controversial about red, orange, green, or yellow, or or teaching technique or tactics first. Oh, dear. Well... Mark just made the program complete because he's got the highest IQ of any of us on the show. So, Mark, feel free to let us know your thoughts. But actually, I had, had something I wanted to talk to you about, but now it slips my mind, Mark. I'm going to have to hit you up. Maybe I'll, I'll shoot you another random email. Sorry if, if I send you too many emails, Mark. I, I just have a lot of questions that I, I need to talk to smart people about. But... Yeah, let me try to get to some of the additional comments here before I got to go sleepy night-night. And I do apologize for my co-host, Sammy's lack of discipline. Sandboy. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. You know, he's tired. You know, he probably did a lot of jumping and running around today. He ate some dog treats. He's probably, you know, he's probably worn out from that. All right, let's see what we got here. Sterling says... Thanks to Jim. Yeah, Jim's a big fan of your work, Sterling. Jim Kane is a big supporter of the program. Let's see. You need to blend both. Marcus Dayton says, the problem is with the people whom think they are training Spanish way are not really, when you see their players doing it, often not doing it well. I think that's true. There are a lot of people trying to train the Spanish way, and it's not really legit. It's not really authentic Spanish way whatever whatever that means. You know, Spanish way is kind of evolving right now. So I think the whole idea of the Spanish system, some people get upset when I say the system. I, uh, there's just no other word, there's no better word to use. You could use methodology, you can use approach, you can say Spanish style, whatever you want to say. You know, it's true, Marcus. A lot of people are are training, they think they're training Spanish, but it's not really legit. They've never been to Spain. They don't really know what they're what they're doing. They might be doing a drill that's Spanish. Like a lot of people do the X drill, but they don't really focus on the right things or they don't really know what to say in terms of the guidance for the player. I think that's very true. Ooh, you like the idea for a book, the French and Spanish thing? Yeah, the compare and contrast between France and Spain. It's really fascinating. As you have these two European countries who are both leaders on the world stage. And they have very different developmental philosophies, France and Spain. And sometimes they really disagree with each other. Like, you know, the Spanish will say that the French are too, they're too aesthetic, aesthetically focused. They are soft. You know, a lot of the Spanish coaches say the French coaches they are like kind of soft. And they, they worry too much about how the technique looks. They're too artistic. And, you know, the French coaches... Sort of poo-poo the Spanish. You know, if you talk to French coaches, they're like, "Oh yeah, the Spanish, they don't do a good job with technique over there." You know, the Spanish. You know, they just they just do mindless drilling, and they don't they don't focus on quality over quantity. You know, you hear that a lot from French coaches. You know, criticizing the Spanish. So it, it is a very interesting study to compare and contrast those two countries and the way they work. All right, let's see what we got going on. A few more comments. See some old friends joining the program, some new friends. I appreciate you guys supporting the show. Let's see what Sterling says. Yes, good old fashioned grind. Players need to learn how to persevere and learn how to sweat and learn how to play hard and smart. The Spanish are beasts. It's not dead. It's about to get a massive infusion if I have anything to do with it. Yes, Sterling, I think that's a great way to look at it. You know, you can use your new method and system to make the Spanish method better, to evolve the Spanish way. I think that's a really smart way to look at it, but I just don't like when a lot of coaches who are Spanish haters, they're just at their core Spanish haters, they're using the first four shots data, they're using the first four shots recommendations to undermine the legitimacy of Spanish you know spanish methodology they're, they're they're using that data to undercut spanish tennis and spanish players too you know they're saying stuff like oh the spanish players they do a lot of they're stupid s-t-o-o-p-i-d they're stupid they're stupid they 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 do too much uh, consistency work they're always grinding so much they should they should do a more uh, first strike And there may be some truth to that, but a lot of that grinding and consistency work is really good to develop top players. Really good. And they have a pretty good track record of that. And what about defense? You know, if we're all focusing on first strike, hey, let's not forget the defensive game. That's a big part of Spanish training, the defensive side. And I know many coaches who are taking the first four information. And they're using that to justify teaching their kids offense only, primarily an offense-driven game. And I think that goes against everything that they've done in Spain. It goes against all the success, that we, the, the things we've learned from Spain and, and their tremendous success over the past 30 years or so. And yes, Spain is on the decline now, but They are a superpower for coaching and academies now. They are a legit destination on par with with Florida, South Florida. Okay, uh, my online friend Tim Bainton is watching. What's up, Tim? Thanks for waving, buddy. Robert Garrett is watching. Wow, we've got some high IQs on this program. I don't disappoint with my marketing. I said this is a high IQ Show is full of high IQ learners, and I I am delivering on that. Got Sterling doing a great job sharing his knowledge. Let's see. Sterling says, the type of kid you coach makes a big difference. Fun for high performance, athletic DNA. Yeah, he says he agrees with me. Thank you for that. Uh, That some kids that come to me want to really improve movement, swing path, better contact point, and things like that. And some players will learn more with GBA. Yes, Sterling, that's really good common sense advice. But I will repeat, the leaders of GBA, the guys doing all the workshops and conferences and the big, the big daddies, the big fish in the industry are not saying what you're saying. They are saying that game-based approach is the answer universally for all junior development u 10 They are saying that in the hands of a good coach, GBA is hands down proven universally better for all children. And I think that's a bunch of shuck and jive. And I'm just going to keep saying that. And I know it's not true. I know it in my heart is not true. I know it because I've seen so many kids who like to drill. They like to drill. They like repetition and they don't respond well to guided discovery methods. They don't respond well to implicit learning methods. I'm not saying every kid. I'm saying a bunch of them, a good amount of them. You know, it just depends on the kid's personality and learning style. That's what I'm getting at. All right. We've got some more friends on the show. I see we have... Manjunath Ravi is watching. Thank you for waving. Let me know where you're wa- where you're tuning in from, if, especially if you're international. I love getting international viewers. Nate Pagel said, "I completely agree." Not sure which agreement that is, Nate. But you know, I'll check the comments later. I'm sorry if I missed your comments, guy. I got flooded with comments here. We had a lot of buzz going. I'm just trying to catch up. Do a few more minutes here, and then. I may have to go sleepy night-night. Sterling says, benchmarks are great for any system. If you don't have benchmarks as a coach, you are just being lazy, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Mike Riggs is watching. Pravesh Raheha Raheya is watching. Thanks for waving. Zoe, jo- Zoe-, Zoe, you're watching the show right now. What's up? That's my next-door neighbor. So you got to get back to the practice. I have to help you with your forehand. I'm going to teach you a modern forehand with elasticity. All right, who else is on the show? Bomb Ronsi is watching. Thank you, Bomb. Awesome name. You're the bomb. Michael, wait, Michael Furman is watching. That's my other neighbor, my online business manager. Michael, how's the show tonight? Doing pretty well. Thank you for waving. I appreciate it. Brody Queel is watching. I see we have a lot of regulars here. Awesome. Guys, I love when you're tuning in every week. We're trying to build up this show. I know that in due time, this show is going to keep growing. And we are going to try to expand this show and simulcast it on some other websites and in some other formats. So I'm really looking forward to that. As the show grows, we're going to simulcast this thing. And so we can build a bigger audience. And I know it's going to happen. It's just going to take some time. And I'm I'm mainly counting on Sammy to carry me through. Right, Sammy? That's Sammy. I I think that with me and Sammy, with our combined IQs, we're going to make this thing take off. It's going to take off like a rocket ship, to be quite honest. Tim Baton says, let's see. Frank is a great mind don't hold back calling out the bullshit from other so-called experts. No substitute for being in the trenches. Yeah, my friend Tim Baton. All right. We're calling out the BS here. Do you mean Frank Giampallo, Tim? Because I think Frank's great. I really like his work. I'm trying to read all his stuff, right? the guy is so prolific, man. He's just churning out good book after good book. The guy's amazing think you mean Frank Gianpaolo. Let me know if that's who you're talking about. But yeah, you know, I have a healthy respect for science. I like data, you know, to a point. I, I'm not a, I'm not a huge data guy. You know, I, I'm a writer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a literature major. So that, that tells you where I'm coming from. I'm an English and literature major. I'm a writer, but I, I do have a healthy appreciation for data and science. And I try to coach based on evidence. I learned that from Mark Kovacs. I don't know if Mark is still on the program, but one of the things that I learned a lot from Mark is to try to coach with parameters that are evidence-based. I I really believe in that, that you try to teach in ways that are data-driven as best you can, because sometimes we don't have data, sometimes we don't have the evidence that we need, or the evidence is skimpy. That's where we get into trouble, when we don't have complete Data. Then we have to go based on our gut or based on our instincts or based on our anecdotal, the anecdotal information we get from other coaches or the experiences, too, basically. And so that's where, you know, sometimes the art, the art, the art of coaching comes in based on experience and where, where things aren't data driven, where, where we don't have enough evidence to base our coaching on. So I have a healthy expert for evidence. I have a healthy respect for experts and evidence and science. But I think like Tim is saying, there's no substitute for being in the trenches working with kids every day. So I'm just not going to get gaslighted by the GBA guys who are telling me that the best way to teach technique to all children is to set up a tactical environment and let the tactics train the skill. I'm, I'm not going to be gaslighted and told that that's true because I know in my heart of hearts way down deep inside and also in my brain that that's not true universally for all children. In fact, it's probably a good chunk of kids that that's going to backfire and and potentially ruin their games or at least stymie their development, hold them back, stall them. They may even hate the sport, imagine that. Can you imagine that there might be a few children out there who if you play games with them, they might actually hate that? They might actually think it's stupid. S-T-O-O-P-I-D, stupid. They might actually think that playing the game, that you're a stupid coach for making them play silly games. Because I know for a fact there are kids like that. I'm not saying all the kids are like that. Don't, Don't get me wrong. I'm saying I know there are kids like that. They might be a minority. We can debate what the percentage is. But when you, when you set up silly little games for them and you ask them to make the ball do this or that or put the ball to a, to a tactical play, you know, tactical concepts, they look at you like, come on, man. Can you show me how to do it? Just, okay, what do I do? How do I do it? How do I do the stroke? And then if you refuse to tell them that, they're going to go find someone who will teach them that. And I happen to know that because i got a thriving business here in New York filled to the brim with parents and players who just want to be told what to do. They just want to be some structure. They just want some answers and they don't want guided discovery. I've got a very good thriving business making a lot of money per hour with all of those families who are being neglected by GBA. And I have some kids who I'm also doing a little bit of the games approach with them because they're not ready for heavy technical reps and things like that. Or they may be more of a magician, like I was saying. I have a few kids like that, but I have a strong following from the technical families, technical parents, technical kids, the mechanics. And there's a demand for that. I'm not saying it's right for everyone, but I know there's a demand for that, big demand for that. I think culturally there's a demand for that, too. As I've tried to argue before, I have a strong Asian following. I have a lot of Indian families that work with me. I have a lot of Chinese, Japanese families that follow me. I have a lot of Eastern European clients. Russians, too. And something about those cultures, without being culturally insensitive, I just think it's a fact that there's something within those cultures that they seek out maybe more technical work or they value more technical work. And those parents, they seek me out. There's something about the work that I'm doing that is attractive to them, maybe because of the technical focus and maybe the the, the minimal games, you know, the, the fun part. I, I'm not really doing fun. You know, fun for my students is kicking ass at a tournament. That's fun. It's not playing games in in a class. You know, if I started playing games with all my students, I'd probably lose all my business. That's a fact. So, anyway, that's my point of view on that. Let's see. Marcus Dayton says, forget about those people. You know what you have done? I laugh at all the trolls. I like to see, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of trolls out there. There's a bunch of, bull- I just don't, you know, I, I try to be honest. I, I don't say I'm the greatest coach in the world, but I know I'm doing a, a good job and I've got a good track record. That, that's all I'm saying. And I'm trying to do some innovative stuff. I'm trying to break the mold. I'm trying to challenge norms. I'm trying to disrupt some of the, some things going on in the industry, you know, just, and I don't think they're that big a deal. There's not that big a deal, but people that are so tied to tradition and are 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 stuck with, are stuck in the past. Like they, they get really riled up when someone tries to question them. But you know, that's part of the territory. If you're gonna have your own show, like I have my own reality show that I'm doing. You know, I'm putting myself out there every week. I don't know many coaches doing that. You t- Name me a coach who's filming all their lessons every week and posting them on YouTube for the whole world to see and has no fear about it. I don't have any fear because I know I'm doing a good job. I know. And I, and I know I have the track record to prove it. I have a very solid track record of developing top national ranked players. I have a strong track record. It's not. It's not BS. It's not hype. It's real. And... I have a very good rapport with little kids. I have a very strong following with little little champions. That's why I use the name Prodigy Maker. Yeah, there's a bit of marketing there, but I love that name because that defines exactly what I do. I make prodigies. It's not a one-way deal. It takes two to tango. So, part of that formula is the kid. The kid is the the kid is bringing it all to the table too, and they're helping to make the prodigy. But I'm definitely assisting with that. You know, I'm helping to develop prodigies. But if you look up the website Helping to Develop Prodigy Maker, or help, you know, that doesn't have the same ring to it as Prodigy Maker. So there's some salesmanship there and some marketing, but I love it. I love that. And that defines, it's the best name for what I do. I work with a lot of young, talented kids. Prodigy Maker, that's what I do. And it's not just me pulling the, the cart. The kids have to bring the talent, obviously. But talent needs to be formed. Talent just doesn't make it on its own, typically. Although talk to the GBA guys and they'll tell you that it does. They'll tell you that if a kid has the talent, they're going to make it. And that is absolutely false. That's not always true. The cream does not always rise to the top. A lot of times it takes a good developer to mold that technique. That's important. And that that is true historically with many top players. Occasionally a kid makes it without a coach, but that's not the norm. Mark Hansen is watching. Sisyphos Tennis Mania is watching. Sisyphos, that's the best name for any viewer I've seen all night. Unbelievable. Very good. Thank you for tuning in. appreciate it. Sterling says kids need structure. Well, that's not what we hear. From the tactics first, guys, sometimes they just need, you know, they learn, uh, they apparently if you just set up a game for them, they're going to automatically learn world-class technique from a game because the tactics teach the skill. Eventually, they're going to figure it out. Sometimes they will, many times they won't. Jesse Cooper is watching. Marcus Dayton says, Le Petit. The Petitas? Are you talking about the Petitas? The junior tournament? I think it's the 12 and under tournament. Has a lot more in classroom and video watching to train younger players. I would be interested in that. If they have some information from the French system, I'd be very interested in studying the French system there. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Marcus, I'll check in with some of those comments later after the program. Guys, I'm going to try to catch the last A little bit of the the comments here and then wrap it up. Sammy's already gone to bed and I think I need to follow his lead soon. Let's see what we got here. Jim says... All right, Jim, I'll try to catch that comment later. Sterling says, I taught my 11-year-old boy at six to slice with a red ball sliding indoors on a hardwood floor. Yeah! Today at 11 years old, he can slide easily on clay and rip his back and slice. Yeah, slice is great. I'm a big believer in slice, man. I'm not saying don't teach the slice. I'm just just saying make sure you got an organized topspin game before you start spending too much time on the slice. And also, look, I've been studying with Jose Higueras for a number of years now, and Jose is huge on the slice. He's got all the top American kids learning slice. So do it. You got to have the slice nowadays. You got to have the complete package. Let's see. Michael Furman said watch this for the results, follow the week by week. Michael, what's that? What are you putting in there? Ooh, that's our YouTube channel. Yeah, guys, go to the YouTube channel. We're trying to build our subscriber base. Man, it takes a lot of work to run a good YouTube channel. Does anyone realize that? It takes a lot of of work, a lot of organization. You got to get all those videos up there and they have to be we try to put them into playlists for everyone. So if you go to our YouTube, we try to have nice playlists for you guys. So all the videos are organized and we're really working hard to make the YouTube channel educational and beneficial for people that go there. So please go to our YouTube channel if, you, if you'd if you like and, and you can subscribe and, and you can click on the little bell to get the announcements when we have new videos and we're posting videos almost daily right now and please i would like to know if there are any other high performance coaches like me who are in the trenches who are filming their their lessons every week and and posting them for free for people to learn from how many guys are doing that i don't know many people doing that I, if they are god bless them cuz it's, it's it's not easy you got to get all the filming set up you got to get uh, the shows online for people to watch. And then you got to just put yourself out there and then you know you're going to get some trolls and some haters, so whatever. That's, that's the price of trying to put out your method and trying to, trying to show the world what, you're, what, you, what you do well. You know, there's going to be some haters. There's always going to be some haters. Haters got to hate. I say, don't hate, appreciate. Appreciate, don't hate. Yeah. Sterling, let's get into that conversation about the tactics first crowd. Maybe on another time. Maybe we can do a call and talk about that. Because you know. Yeah. I I'm gonna I'm gonna do some more study on the French system. I haven't given up on Spain. I think you know, Spain's gonna make a comeback. I've always g I think I'll always be a huge fan of Spanish tennis and and I I will just I would just like to broaden my horizons and learn from another system. So my next goal is to travel around France and learn from the best French coaches how they especially how they do U10 because I'm fascinated with U10. If some of you don't realize that the red orange green approach that we're all using here in the US like with you know they used to call it quick start I don't think still still call it quick start or 10 and under tennis now or whatever you want to call it ITF uh, stay and play or play and stay, a lot of these systems were developed based on the French model. And I believe the French introduced the red ball in the early 90s. I want to say 1995. But I believe they introduced red ball training and competition sort of officially around then. And that's where it's taken off from. The The whole world has adap- adapted and adopted the red, orange, green progressions. And, and every country is different now. But I believe it, it It all began in France and also in Belgium. So I, I just want to learn more about the history. And I'd like to confirm if that's really where it all started, if that is the or, or, origin. And I want to learn from the best French coaches so I can compare and contrast with Spain. I think it'll make some really interesting study. And I'll Probably share that with you guys, because you know I like to write, I like to share. I'll, I'll probably share some of that in either articles or maybe if it's really salient and interesting, I, I may include it could be a future book, short, maybe a short uh, book comparing the philosophies of France and Spain. Some people have asked me to write that in the past. It is an interesting topic. My friend Mohammed is watching. What's up, Mohammed? How are you, buddy? I know you're overseas, right? I forget where you're tuning in from. Maybe Singapore? I forgot. All right. Sterling says, Thank you, Chris. The coach's job to be smart. It's about the coach more than the ball. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. E- yeah. It, it, I'm just reading your comment there, Sterling. Yeah. I, I just think it the 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 coaches should not rely on the ball to to fix technique. Uh, uh, The the coach, the technical coach, is the buck stops with the technical coach. The balls are not going to solve the the problem with technique. They can be a tool to use to train technique, but they are not a solution for, for coaches who don't know how to teach technique. Teach technique well. Okay, Marcus says, I can show you dozens of kids who have fun doing drills (laughs) for hours in our programs. (laughs) And then they do the match play part. Yeah, Marcus, but I'm telling you, I I know it's true, but try talking to, I'm not going to name names, but if you're familiar with some of the big names in GBA, these guys are saying that what you're saying, they're saying that what you're saying is malarkey. And it's just not the case. There are some kids who like the drill. All right, Marcus says uh, he's got a new book deal for me. All right, I like it. I have to finish my book right now. I have the new book, The Little Book of Spanish Tennis Wisdom. It's all about wisdom from the legends of Spain. It's coming out. I'll try to get out this year. The Little Book of Spanish Tennis Wisdom. I'm working hard on that. It's such a great little book. It's so cool. I got quotations on every page. From the legends of Spain, like really good stuff, wisdom, and it's 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 categorized. Each each chapter has a different focus, and I just think it's going to be a cool little book. Coaches, it's going to be great for coaches because it's got quotables, it's got quotes, and you can grab a quote based on a topic that you're interested in and share it with your students, and you can amaze them with your wisdom from Spain. I just think it's going to be a great book for coaches and parents and players. and I'm excited about it. I want to read it. I want to have it with me in my tennis bag when I go to the court so I can amaze my students with my knowledge of Spanish wisdom. All right, Sterling, thanks for that share. I'm going to check it out. But again, I'm, I'm just wondering if if the if the adult brain is still... Still, uh, it's not at its peak to receive tactical information. Or if, if kids are not fully ready to receive all this tactical information, if the, the, their cognitive mind is not prepared, why are we stuffing it into all U10? That's just, for me, that's a common sense question. If they're, they're not really ready for it. And on the flip side of that, if it's very basic, rudimentary, tactical stuff that we're teaching U10... Why is it such a bad thing to wait until 11, 12, or 13 to teach it? Like I said, they do this. This has been proven vis-a-vis Russia and Spain. The Russians teach the technique, and then the kids go to Spain, and they learn the tactics, and they develop so many good players that way. Many, many top players. It works. It works. Maybe it works for a certain type of kid, but I'm not saying it's right for everyone, but it works for certain types of kids. It works. All right. A lot of people tuning in late here. Wow, guys, I'm so impressed. Guyal Pitts Black. I see some regulars on the show. I really appreciate you guys supporting the program. If you have any last-minute questions, shoot them out for me. Sterling says you got to have defensive skills. Man, I'm trying to get her through all these comments. You guys are blowing up the comments board. Muhammad says repetition makes perfect. Okay, Muhammad. It sounds like you're a technical guy. All right, Sterling says he. We're going to do a talk later. Okay. Joey Lovulo, Lovulo is watching. Lavulo, Lavulo. Thank you, man. Thanks for waving. I appreciate it. Craig Webster is watching. What's up, Craig? How are you? Thank you for waving. Kind of wrapping up the show, guys. It's late here in New York City. Ronnie Mayaz is watching. We've got some regulars on the show. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for tuning in. All right. I think I'm going to start wrapping it up. I appreciate everyone coming out tonight. I know you have many places you could be. You could be watching TV or God knows you could be doing all sorts of things. But I appreciate your passion for tennis. I appreciate you wanting to learn and for sharing all your ideas. We try to create a nice community of intelligent tennis learners every Sunday night around 9.45. We go live on Facebook. So join me every Sunday night. We're going to grow this program and this community of high IQ tennis learners I know the program's going to keep growing, and I appreciate your guys' support. So I would like to sign off. I remind you guys, if you like the show, please hit the like button and tell your friends. I would appreciate if you, you shared with friends that we're doing some good stuff here, that the, the show is a quality program with some intelligent conversation and intelligent discussion, and let other people know that they can tune in and they can ask questions and share.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. You can find archives of all Chris's shows at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt or search Chris Lewitt on YouTube. You can watch the live video broadcast of this program weekly on Sunday nights where you can ask questions and comment in real time on Facebook Live. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the live show. Please share our programs with friends and join our online community. You can join Chris Lewitt's Online Tennis Academy at clta.teachable.com or visit chrislewitt.com for more info. Chris's latest published articles and additional video resources can be found at prodigymaker.com. Thanks again and see you next time.